As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The top prospect debuts in the postseason and an elite reliever sits out the wildcard round. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had uh, three co-brews uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Thursday, October 1st. Can you believe it? October already. I'm Al Melchior. I am here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. Can you believe it's October? I'm having trouble with that. I cannot, although, you know, I'm glad that it's officially the fourth quarter of 2020. Uh, I think we, as people, might be down like 13 nothing so far, but you never know. There's always an opportunity. When you go down that big, there's always a chance for the greatest possible comeback at the very end. That is some optimism. Uh, we'll take it. <laughs> we will take that. Uh, unfortunately, there's uh, no fourth quarter for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, they've already been uh, eliminated in the wild card round, losing to the Astros. Uh, you know, I just I feel bad for the Twins and, and their fans. Seems like they deserve better, but um, the uh, postseason ro- losses are, are getting racked up. Um, but in spite of the uh, the bad outcome there. Um, we've got a, a Twins player that's making some pretty significant news. Alex Kirilov made his major league debut in game two of the wild card series against the Astros. Got his first major league hit. I mean, obviously he'll have to wait to get his first uh, regular season hit, but uh, got a single off of Jose Urquidy uh, in a 1-4-4 effort, batting sixth in the Twins lineup. Um Kind of strange, DVR, that we you know we didn't see Kirilov uh, during the regular season. Um, makes his his debut here. Uh, has had injury problems throughout his minor league career, but um, you know when he's played, putting up good numbers. So, does this, if anything, signal anything for uh, 2011? I think it means he's probably up after a couple of weeks. Uh, I think he's a big part of their plans. I'm curious to see if they end up trading Eddie Rosario or clearing a corner spot that way because I think there's at least a chance they bring back Nelson Cruz. And if they have Cruz and Miguel Sano, you can't really float the DH at all with those two guys taking those two spots. Uh, this is a guy that I think played better than people realize at double A when you account for the fact that he had a wrist injury. And perhaps the best Alex Kirilov fact of all, Al, is that 
He was six years old the last time the Twins won a playoff game. Oh, God, that's cruel. That is just a cruel trivia bit there. <laughs> Scotty Pippen retired from the NBA that day. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh <my laughs> so bad. That was so long ago. Sorry, we're, we're pouring it on here, Twins fans. Um, wow. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, good point about Kirilov's double A uh, campaign. Batted 283, but just a 413 slugging percentage. But, uh, you know, that was good for a 121 WRC plus. So, you know, says something about the, you know, the, the level of uh, offense. Um, and, uh, you know, in the lower minors, hit for, hit for some power. And even there's a little bit of speed there. So um, with that, you know, possibility, like you say, of him taking over a corner spot, I think a Rosario trade would make all the sense in the world for the Twins. Uh, and, you know, if there's a spot for Karoloff, then... You know, he certainly would make some sort of impact. I would think next year. Uh, where, where, what's the shallowest format in which you would you would plan on drafting him? I think he's possibly draftable in a twelve teamer. It'd be kind of an end game sort of consideration if things are crowded. But he's talented enough as a hitter. I mean, it's absolutely within the range of outcomes. I mean, think about where we were drafting Gavin Lux, and we get to see Lux for September and October a year ago, and he wasn't guaranteed anything as we learned in terms of playing time this year uh, and he was going in the top 150 overall of most drafts in fact I thought that was a good idea because I thought he'd play a lot more in 2020 so uh, I do think at least in a 12-team mixed league Kirilov's on the radar and again how they handle the roster will ultimately dictate how early you can reasonably draft him in a league like that right well uh, something to you know think about in the months ahead uh, also something to think about is the fancy value of Devin Williams uh, did not get a single save in 2020, but was arguably the best reliever in all of baseball, still had fantasy value without getting a save. In fact, on the ESPN Player Raider, uh, among RP eligible pitchers, Williams ranked 11th, had 53 strikeouts in 27 innings, led the major leagues uh, or led uh, relievers with a 22.3% swinging strike rate. But bad news in the short term for Williams, he was left off of the Brewers wild card roster due to a, sh- a sore right shoulder. So uh, I-, I think we can kind of just combine this all into one question because, uh, you know, I think we need to start thinking about how we value Williams going into next year. But the fact that he's, you know, late in the year dealing with the shoulder issue, is that something that's going to enter into that calculation? Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with Devin Williams likely is that Josh Hader's probably still in the Brewers bullpen in 2021. So even if he's completely healthy entering the season, the best case scenario is probably that they would share save opportunities. And you can't rule that out. The Brewers have been flexible with the use of Hader over the years. Maybe they want to mix and match a bit more going forward. Um, there is a chance, I guess, that Hader gets traded over the offseason. Then Williams could be the closer on his own. But I just look at this situation and wonder, are we chasing a level that's impossible to sustain in the long run? It's kind of seems that way to me. A .33 ERA, a .63 whip. I mean, nobody does that over a long, long stretch of time. So I believe the stuff is good. The command is good. The airbender, changeup, screwball, whatever you want to call it. But I think the airbender is the, the new preferred nomenclature thanks to Pitching Ninja. Uh, I think he's got two legitimately great weapons to continue to get hitters out. And he'll continue to be effective even as a non-closer reliever if that's the role going forward. I'm worried that the price is going to be through the roof. I mean, imagine the ADP of Nick Anderson going into this season is probably roughly what you're going to have to do to get Devin Williams. 
and you might have an even more obstructed path to save opportunities. Well, you are going, you went in the exact place I was going to go. The Nick Anderson to me was the comp, although I think Anderson, you know, going into this year, there was the presumption he was going to get probably the most saves of anybody out of the Rays bullpen. But uh, there was certainly some uncertainty there. He looked at what he did last year, again, in limited innings and, uh, you know, projected that out onto this year and thought, okay, here's somebody, regardless of how that shakes out with saves, is going to have value. Uh, you know, I think Williams goes into 2021 with a similar, uh, similar profile, similar chances for value, but probably, as you pointed out, you know, you're the first thing that you mentioned, that the opportunity for saves is, is certainly going to be less. But uh, yeah, if the, if the price really is high, it's probably too much risk for the, for the reward. But if somehow he winds up, um, you know, pitching his way into saves, uh, you know, he he could be one of the most valuable relievers uh, next season. So, uh, you know, that'll be something that I'm sure will also be discussed uh, on and off throughout the offseason. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So DVR, we looked at earlier this week, we looked at some hitters who were really good about making not only hard contact, but making hard contact in the sweet spot zone as divide by, uh, defined by StatCast. So let's do the same thing with pitchers. We're going to you know, flip this around and look at the pitchers who were the best at uh, minimizing really high quality contact. And we'll start with the, um, the hard hit rate and... Uh, you know, this is not, it's not like with hitters where, you know, hitters are known for their ability to make hard contact. This is kind of like the secondary or tertiary thing we, that we think about with pitchers. So may not necessarily be common knowledge who's usually, you know, up at the top of those leaderboards. But we, you know, we did see some familiar names up there, um, you know, like Max Fried, for example, um, who was brilliant, by the way, on Wednesday. But a couple of names that uh, we weren't necessarily uh, expecting to see if we were familiar with prior leaderboards. Martin Perez, the sixth-ranking pitcher among those that allowed at least 100 batted balls this year. Sixth-ranking pitcher in terms of lowest hard hit rate, 29.2%. We talked about him down the stretch a bit because he was was pretty effective despite not having very good strikeout and walk ratios. Uh, but is his are his contact management skills in this you know roughly two month season is that enough to elevate him for you and if so by how much? I think I'm still taking more of a wait and see with Martin Perez because I I don't like what I'm seeing with the Arsenal as a whole. I know the cutter was a pitch that he started to work in with the Twins back in 2019 and that opened up a lot of interesting possibilities for him. I think that's the main reason why he's able to avoid hard contact so th- I'm not disputing this is a skill but I think he has to still pair one more thing with it he needs one more pitch that gets whiffs to bring the K rate up 
or he has to find a way to rein in the walks. He just can't live consistently with only weak contact as a, a carrying skill. Uh, and I, I think he's fine for maybe like really deep leagues. We're talking 50 round draft and hold and you know mono leagues because you can move him in and out and play him in favorable matchups and leagues that deep and volume plays. But I think in terms of general mixed league appeal, there's still not quite enough there despite some of the encouraging signs we saw here in 2020. All right. Well, he definitely stands out in the top 10 on a uh, hard hit rate as uh, you know, somebody we didn't necessarily ex- expect to see there. As I mentioned, Freed was the top, Kent Maeda, Ryan Yarbrough. Now, he's kind of interesting because Yarbrough is somebody who hasn't always had great ratios, but has consistently been elite in terms of limiting hard contact. Uh, Julio Urias, um, Hunjin Ryu, that's the top five. Then Perez, number seven was Christian Javier. So in his rookie season, he joins this group of pretty consistent, good contact managers. Javier is somebody, we talked about this offline a little bit, Somebody I had in my new League this year, uh, it's a daily lineup league, and I never seem to pick the right starts to put him in my rotation or pick the right ones to, to leave him out. Um, and, you know, just like there was start-to-start inconsistency, I mean, there's inconsistency in his profile. Not very good at getting swings and misses, 8.7% whiff rate. Um you know, really helped out by a very low BABIP, 194, uh, which a big chunk of that was a one for 62 by opponents on fly balls in play. Uh, just crazy. But, um, you know, see, again, seems to be very good at managing contact, is indicated by his inclusion on this leaderboard. Um, but, you know, certainly a more attractive profile than Perez. But I, I'm conflicted going into 2021. It seems like you like Javier a little bit more than I do. Um, is there something else there that you know we should be hanging our hats on? Yeah, I mean, I think he has the potential to be a good three-pitch starter. He didn't necessarily get there in 2020, even though he had a lot of success. It was mostly fastball slider with the occasional changeup, and hitters actually did a lot of damage on the changeups that he did throw. Uh, but I think when you go back and look at the different pitch grades, you see a potential well above average curveball. And if Javier can command that consistently, I think the stuff plays up a lot better. What I'm afraid of is that he's going to fall right into that sweet spot, that pick 130 to 160 range. And sometimes you find a Shane Bieber in that range, and sometimes you find a Nick Pavetta. And talent is one thing, but command is the one thing that can also hold him back, right? So I believe in the talent, but the command makes him risky. And I think if that's the price, 130, 150 overall, I'm probably out unless we see something in the spring where he's mixing that third pitch a lot more consistently. I just don't want to have a lot of two-pitch starters as foundational guys for my rotations. All right. Well, then what about Chris Paddock? Uh, He seemed to be the exception for a lot of people who had that very same concern that you just voiced, DVR, um, avoiding the two-pitch pitchers. But Paddock, for all intents and purposes, was that in 2019. And in 2020, uh, he was one of the very worst pitchers in the major leagues in terms of hard contact, uh, a 47.4% hard contact rate. That placed him seventh from the bottom uh, among this group of pitchers with 100 batted balls or more. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I liked him a lot going into the season, too. And it's, uh, you know, it's clear, like, it... This he's part of the lesson I learned, I guess, this year, right? Like that third pitch is so important, and maybe 
maybe it's there. And, and look, the price difference between Paddock in, in 2020 and Javier in 2021 might be enough to where you can take that chance on Javier. But clearly, Chris Paddock was a mistake for me this year at the price that it took to get him. Well, so are, I mean, are you saying that in hindsight in terms of looking at the final results or or is this more of a statement about, you know, a philosophical approach with, with two pitch pitchers? It's more of the philosophical approach. I, I decided to run right through that. I decided that that changeup was just so good that it didn't matter. And that's not the way to play. Uh, I think you're better off looking at situations like this, accepting the flaws for what they are and saying, hey, look, I believe this guy can develop a third pitch, but I'm not going to give up a top 60 pick to find out if he does it this year. I want to see a little more evidence first before I'm willing to buy in. Um, you know, I applied similar logic to Patrick Corbin, who's been a successful pitcher with two pitches for a long time and avoided some meltdowns from him this year. So I don't know why I was so selective about it. I think the difference for me was that Paddock being so much younger, I assumed development, and that's probably a pretty dangerous assumption to make. Yeah, well, you know, he was a very popular pitcher just a few months ago. So, um, you know, it's we're still, you know, trying to, I think, you know, sort this all out in terms of, you know, pitch mix and, and how much we need to rely on that. Um, just real quickly here as we wrap up, should look at the sweet spot leaderboard because, uh, again, hard hit rate doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot uh, depending on, uh, you know, if it's, you know, grounders or, or you know, uh, uh, the line drive. And so, you know, uh, Javier, one of the things that was that things that was impressive about him was not only um, a, a low hard hit rate, but also a very low rate uh, of batted balls in the um, sweet spot. He was fifth, fifth lowest. Freed was the fourth lowest. So they share that profile. The top three were Brandon Woodruff, Jay Happ and Zach Eflin. Woodruff is a stud, obviously. I feel like actually he's been overlooked, but Happ and Eflin, uh, how do you like them for 2021? Hap's okay. I think he's he finally a free agent, so he might not have a hitter-friendly home park that he's dealing with. And Eflin was a guy that I just saw. Forget how I landed on his player page, but I was surprised looking at him that he was striking more guys out than ever before. The K rate jumped up to 28.6%. I know strikeouts were up league-wide, but that's a massive turnaround for him. And we've seen little flashes from Eflin in the past. 2018 in particular, that swing strike rate was up. The K rate got up to... 8.6 per nine, 22.4%. I think there's a chance that Eflin ends up being legitimately good over the full season in 2021. And I think he's going to cost quite a bit less than someone like Christian Javier. I think we'll see Eflin probably outside the top 200 overall in terms of his ADP. All right. Maybe look for Eflin on some uh, 2021 sleeper lists. Uh, a lot to like there from uh, from 2020. And uh, that's going to be all, though, for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're listening to this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Friday.